Could we pray a, <clears throat> pray a moment? Lord, may the words that I speak and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. What I'd like to talk to you about is uh, why I believe that caring for God's creation is at the heart of our Christian faith and our Christian mission. I'd like to look at the sweep of Scripture, uh, beginning with the summary of the law, which we've just had read from uh, Luke 10, which was given by the expert uh, to Jesus. Uh, it's everything really summed up in one sentence. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. A great principle, but like any great principle, the big question is, how do you actually do it? How do you turn the theory into practice? And that question really matters to Jesus, which is why he told the parable which was mentioned by our reader, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was kind of beginning to answer that question, who is my neighbor? But one thing at a time, the first part of the, the, the summary of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. How do we do that? And I believe a part, an, an important part, is, it is just a part, but a vital part of the answer is to care for God's creation, that we love God by caring for all that he's made. He saw all that he'd made and he saw that it was good. That's right at the beginning of the Bible, isn't it? And surely if we love God, we will also love what he has made and what he loves and what he sustains. So many of the Psalms uh, portray creation worshipping God himself. Uh, our psalm, which was read just now, Psalm 19, begins, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So there, Scripture teaches us that all creation is worshipping God by being what it is and by doing what it does, by fulfilling what it's made to be. So where is our place in all this? I think, first of all, we need to remember that it, it isn't ours. We don't own it. Psalm 24 begins, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It belongs to God. And we are, if you like, stewards, gardeners, caretakers, part of the community of creation. None of those words quite adequate, but I think they can help. If you take the word caretaker, uh, that can sound a bit second best, you know, like a caretaker manager of a football side is uh, just sort of filling in until the real thing is appointed. But actually, if you break down that word caretaker, I think it's not a bad word at all, is it? It sums up what we need to be doing, taking care of what God has given us to look after. Not a bad way of seeing it. Woven right through the Bible, there's a strong link between our relationship with God and our relationship with his creation. It's there right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, all the way through to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where we're given a vision of the earth renewed and made new. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 10, God makes a covenant with Noah. And we, we probably think this is just with Noah, but if we look carefully, we see that actually it's much bigger than that. It's not just a covenant with Noah, it's explicitly a covenant with every living creature. And then when we, when we come to Abraham in the book of Genesis, we find that Abraham is given a covenant with God. He's made a, a, a promise by God, and that promise is a twofold promise. I wonder if anyone can shout out what they remember of the promise, promise made to Abraham. 
What has Abraham promised? Any, anyone remember? Yeah, he'll have a people, as many as the stars of the sky or the sands of the grains of sand on the seashore, a people and a land. That's right. That's the threefold promise given to Abraham. And as you read through the Bible, you find that that relationship, that triangle, if you like, is expanded out into something much bigger and all-encompassing. Not just one people, God's chosen people, but all humanity. And not just the land of Israel, the promised land, Eretz Israel, but actually all the earth, the whole of the planet. And in fact, even the whole of creation. Now, if we look at that triangle, it needs to be kept complete. If our relationship with the land is broken, then that affects our relationship with God. And if our relationship with God is broken, that affects our relationship with the land. And so we had that rather dire-sounding reading from Isaiah 24, the earth dries up and withers. And the question is, why does, is this happening? And Isaiah is explicit, because the people have broken their relationship with God, their covenant relationship, where our relationship with God becomes sick, our, the land itself becomes sick. The second part of the uh, reading of the, 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 the summary of the law, of course, is very short and very pithy. Just a few words, easy to remember. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how do we do that? That's the big question, isn't it? One of the verses I love in the Bible is John 10, verse 10. I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. And God has given us this abundant world. And surely if we love our neighbor, we'll want our neighbor to enjoy the abundance of the world that God has given us. The sad truth is that nature is not as abundant now as it used to be, not very long ago, in fact. A huge amount of that loss has been in our own lifetime, people of my generation, many of us here. The truth is that nature is in trouble. The 2018 Living Planet report calculated that globally we've lost 60% of the abundance of fish, birds and mammals since 1970. A lot of us, that's in our lifetime. Since 1975 in the UK, we've lost about 10% of species. That's a huge loss. Some mammals have seen catastrophic decline. Hedgehogs, for instance. In my lifetime, they've probably dropped from... Um, about 36 million to 1 million in, this, in the UK, down about 70% in the last 20 years. Water voles I mentioned, and they've seen a similar decline. They've become a rare sight, whereas once they were very common. Insect life. Have you heard the phrase, the insect Armageddon? Take the bumblebee. Uh, there are actually about 26 species in Britain. We've lost several recently. And, of course, bees are not just the only species, but they're important for pollinating. And um, as drivers, if we think back you know, to the 1970s, maybe, you would have been continually having to wipe, wipe your windscreens clear of the insects that were squatted on the, on the windscreen. And that's, that was a bit of a nuisance, and you may be quite glad that you're not having to do that so much these days, but actually that's a sign of things not being right, that the insect life is not healthy, and they're a vital part of the ecosystem, a huge part of a, the, the vital biomass of God's creation. Uh, why are they in decline? Partly chemical use, 
partly habitat loss. 97% of our historic wildlife-rich wildflower meadows have been lost in in Britain since the 1930s. That's uh, an area roughly the size of Wales lost in that time. So if we think back to that summary of the law, the, the second part, love your neighbours yourself, surely there's a strong case to say that nature is our neighbour in the community of creation. And if we focus just on our human neighbours, we learn in a big truth, and that is that what we do or don't do to care for nature has a huge effect, a huge impact on our human natures for good or for ill. Take plastics, for instance. Plastics are are um, something that uh, crosses national boundaries because what enters the ocean in one place reaches the shoreline often in different countries. It's calculated the equivalent of a truckload of plastic enters the oceans every day, every minute of every day. And uh, the currents take it to different places and we become neighbours sharing the, the rubbish um, we try to clear the river near our nature reserve. So this next picture is me trying to uh, remove a, a, a traffic cone from the river in our, our annual source-to-sea river clear-up. If you look at climate change, that's one of the big ge- issues for our generation. And that makes us neighbours, doesn't it? Because climate ne- change doesn't know national boundaries. The, the last decade has been the warmest on record, and we're getting perilously close to that 1.5 degree rise that is calculated to be the maximum that the Earth can sustain without huge effects. We're already actually seeing the effects these days, aren't we? In sea level rise, in more frequent and more extreme weather events like uh, Storm uh, Neil, which hit Florida recently, flooding in some places, desertification in others. And of course, we've been hearing about the terrible things that have been happening in Pakistan recently. So people are affected, and nature is affected in significant ways. Alpine vegetation is on retreat as uh, other vegetation creeps up the mountainsides and glaciers retreat. Coral reefs are becoming bleached by global warming as seawater warms and uh, the busy reefs go silent and the algae dies. Birds species fall out of sync with their food sources, like sand eels, which are missing in, in vast quantities because of warming currents. Insect larvae, which uh, become available at the, uh, out of sync with the breeding time of the birds. So nature is affected and people are affected. And in particular, the poorest are the most vulnerable Lloyds of London has paid out in recent years uh, some huge amounts because of natural events, um, floods and fires, and some years has made a loss. But they're paid out. But of course, it's only the wealthy who've got insurance and the rich who can uh, afford to take it out. There's no insurance for the poorest of the world. So if we think carefully about that question which uh, that teacher of the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? Part of the answer, surely, is that our neighbours include, for instance, the people of Vanuatu, where sea level rise is making the islands uninhabitable. That question is, the answer includes the people of Bangladesh, surely, 
who, who are hit by flooding more frequently, where much of the land is becoming vulnerable to, to salt water and no longer farmable. Surely our neighbour includes the tea farmers of Kenya. They depend on a very regular rainfall. They used to get it, but the rains have now become unreliable and hit and miss. And our neighbour, surely the answer includes the people of the Sahel uh, and also areas of the Middle East where land that was once farmable has now become desert and unviable. And this has become a driver, of course, for migration and conflict. It's the industrial nations which have driven climate change historically, but the poorest nations are now disproportionately affected. And now it's vital that we work together as neighbours across the globe to, share, to solve the problem. And what are future generations? Aren't they our neighbour as well? What kind, of neighbor, what kind of world will we leave, what kind of planet will we leave to, the, to our grandchildren? We live in an age that's been labelled the sixth mass extinction. This is the first extinction event that, of course, is man-made. The base rate of extinctions is a thousand times above the natural baseline. So the extinction rate today, a thousand times more than the natural baseline. The, the epoch we're in has sometimes been labelled the Anthropocene, a new geological era where it's human activity which has determined the geology of the, the planet. So a question for us to carry is, we've been entrusted with a, an abundant world, will we pass it on as an abundant world? I tried to sketch the bigger picture, and the question is where we fit in, and I think we can feel pretty small at times, and we feel rather insignificant in, in the face of the huge problems and the huge issues. People can be crushed by them and feel a sense of hopelessness or even doom. And sometimes that freezes people, so they feel there's nothing we can do about it, but I try. And I want to say there is urgency to our situation, but we've also got agency. We have the power to act. And I'd like to end with my reflections on the agency we have. What can we do? These are my thoughts. First of all, we're, we're called to be faithful. And so if we do what we believe to be right, that's a good reason to act. My second thought is, if we do it, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we'll begin to make a difference. And where we work together, as a Christian community and collaborate with others outside our Christian community, we'll begin to snowball what we do. We'll have a, a bigger influence than we expect. It'll, it'll give us leverage. My fourth thought is this, maybe my most important, we have prayer. We pray to a God who listens and loves all that is made. Maybe we don't always understand the scope of his love. John 3.16, for instance, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, which I hope people here can uh, recite to me. Who, who can remember that verse? John 3.16. Right, thank you. God so loved, we say, the world. But actually what John wrote in the Greek was God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only son. We think people, and that's of course a big part of it, but it's not just people, it's actually everything that God has made. So what Jesus did when he died for us was not just for us, but was for all creation to redeem and restore everything that God had made. And so I have hope, and I, 
I'm not paralyzed by fear. We've been looking at this slide for a little while, so I'd, I'd explain that. It's a simple way of thinking about our response. Stop, first of all. Stop doing the stuff that we know is harmful. Start doing the stuff that we know can begin to put things right. Shout. Let our voices be heard, to, whether it's to business or to local councils or to government. And join our voices together to actually say, we're the people and we, we want you to hear what we're saying. And sustain, encourage each other, pray for each other, and work together. Find refreshment in nature. And EcoChurch is, of course, a great way to work together. I'm delighted that you're on that journey and finding some encouragement in it. So my last, my last picture here is the big pond, as we imaginatively call it, in Fox Earth Meadows. And uh, we can find refreshment in being close to nature that can sustain us. And a brief word as I finish about Arosha itself. I was explaining to someone before the service that it's actually a Portuguese word. It means the rock. And the reason for it being Portuguese is the first project was in Portugal. Some English people going with a mission organization to start a, a project combining their Christian faith with their love of nature, a bird observatory on the Algor Peninsula. It came to UK just in 2001. And that was a pro project to transform 80 acres of wasteland, which was meant to be green space, but was mainly used for fly tipping in a multicultural, uh, built-up, busy West London in, in Southall. And that was transformed into a beautiful area of conservation land and country park. And so Rosh is about transformation and about hope. And our faith is about transformation and hope. Not just for individual lives, and that's, that's wonderful and that's, that's vital, but also for all God's creation, the cosmos that Jesus gave his life for. I just end by saying thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak today and uh, I wish you well in your journey of uh, caring for God's creation and uh, uh, Jane and I would be delighted to chat with people further over coffee afterwards. Thank you.